On today's episode of Inside Music Cast, we're bringing you a very special guest who's producing a documentary about her father, Terry Kaff, the amazing guitarist and vocalist who spent a little over 10 years with the band Chicago until his accidental death in January 1978. What's unique about this documentary is that it's a journey inside the mind of Michelle Kath Sinclair, who was only three years old at the time of her father's passing. Scouring through boxes of memorabilia, Michelle discovered several reels of Super 8 film that her father shot throughout his touring days with the band. This, along with interviews, correspondence, and other memorabilia, helped piece together a glimpse into her father's fast, musical, and ultimately the tragic end to his life. What did she learn about her father that family and friends hadn't been able to describe throughout her life? And after so many years after her father's passing, did these pieces help to answer the questions she's always had about this man? A father, a husband, and a music legend. Inside Music Cast welcomes Michelle Kath Sinclair. And Michelle, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Hi, Michelle. Well, you know, this is kind of a unique um, opportunity for Eddie and me to interview someone that's not actually a musician. Everyone we've talked to in the past have, have been you know, the actual musician, the actual focus, but we're going to be focusing on you today. And, and I, you know, you may be a musician. I know you're a DJ. <laughs> I'm a DJ. <laughs> That's right. Different, different type of That's musician. Right. Yeah. But we're, you know, we're going to talk about uh, a project that you're really heavily involved in. And it's a, it's a documentary that you're creating and producing. And it's uh, all revolves around your father, Terry Kath, who was obviously the the lead singer uh, and guitarist and in, in, not lead singer, but one of the singers and guitarists in Chicago. And, um, you know, just you were so young, you know, just starting off when, when your dad lost his life. I'm sure a lot of our, our uh, you know, listeners today know the history of, of, of Terry and exactly, you know, what happened to him. And if you don't follow along with the rest of this and we'll, we'll get to it. But you were probably too young to have, you know, very many of your own memories. I was thinking about this and how did how did your mother or other family members describe your father to you? Um, yeah, I was pretty young, and uh, my mother always described my dad as this kind of really manly man. He always mm-hmm. had his uh, motorcycles and out in nature and kind of rugged guy that was just an all around good guy. He loved to travel. He come in and say, you know what, we're going to go on the motorcycle and Mm -hmm. we're going to just drive and see where we end up kind of thing. Um, My mom and my grandparents always told me really great stories about him, that he just seemed like this really good guy, the good guy you would want to have on your team kind of thing, (laughs) the guy you want to know. You know, it's it's funny you say that because, you know, um, you you were very young, but when when I try to think back of when I was three years old, I mean, I have such faint memories of of anything that even went on in my life, you know? So, I mean, do you have in, any of your own memories that you might be able to remember of, of your dad or not, personally? You, it's really funny. I As a kid, I always had this memory. Uh-huh. And you know when you kind of think about these memories, you're like, oh, that, that's a dream. That can't be real. And I remember <laughs> sure. just describing it to my mom, and she's like, I can't believe you remember that because – you were in my arms. You were just so little. And wow. it was just, and, and still, 
I still can't believe this is a real memory, but yeah. my grandparents used to own a, a, a like a resort on the mm-hmm. lake out outside of Chicago. And I guess we were kind of on this boat and I kind of remember him driving the boat and kind of talking to everybody. My mom just said, you were probably not even one years old yet in my arms. Wow. <laughs> and another thing I do remember, and it turned out later when I talked about this memory, that it was actually the day my father died. And I can remember Robert Lamb and his daughter coming to get me, to take me to their house for the week, to mm-hmm. give my mom space. Mm-hmm. And um, when I told her about this, she's like, wow, you know, that was the day he passed away. And again, being so young, it's funny that something like that is what sticks in your mind. Yeah. Well, I think just being human, you knew the tragedy. You know, you felt right. it even though you were so young. Right. Growing up, knowing that, you know, this this incredible musician in what we now know is, was one of the most or is one of the most successful bands of all time, mm. um, was was this an influence? I mean, this may sound like an interesting question, but was this an influence on you musically, just, you know, in the musical sense? I think so, because what one of the things is that uh, I have his records, his music library, and kind of thumbing through that and... My mom telling me, you know, oh, these are his records and this is what he was really into. And um, a lot of it was kind of that jazz stuff like Joe's Joe Sample Mm -hmm. and The Weather Report and Bob James. Makes sense. Which in turn, I think a lot was stuff that the kids like when I was growing up that we loved were all sampling and making into hip hop music. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right, right. And so I think in a sense that, yeah, I mean, definitely in terms of my love for music and needing to collect it and have vinyl and then becoming a DJ. Yeah. That that music and the the Chicago music too. There's some good little breaks in there (laughs) that the the DJs (laughs) like to use. Well, I noticed um, on your website um, that there's a like the background, the wallpaper on on your website is a uh, is a is like a wall full of records, and I wondered if I wondered if some of those records were part of your dad's collection. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I have a little. Yeah, we're we're actually working on putting up that launching for the first time officially mm-hmm. launching the Terry Kath website um, in this month in November. And we're going to work on eventually putting up a page that's Terry's record collection. Oh, that's going to be interesting. Sharing his his music. Very cool. So, Michelle, tell us, how old were you when you were actually curious enough to start wanting to know more about the details about your dad and, and his uh, his amazing life? How old were you? I think always, always wanted to know because sure. in our house was filled with his memory mm-hmm. in terms of his his guitars and you know, his awards and pictures and i spent every weekend with his parents who you know were very always telling me about him and his life um and i think to a certain extent i was never really needing to know as a child too much about how he passed mm-hmm. right yeah. right um I was aware that it was kind of something tragic mm-hmm. and um, a shocking to the people around him. Yeah. And that made me, that actually made me curious about, you know, 
when did I'm sure it was probably your mother or was it another family member that actually how old were you when they broke the news to you about exactly how it happened? You know, it's funny when I think about it, I, I think from a pretty young age, it was always, I was always told the truth. Mm -hmm. Um, and in the sense that one, I was going to find out eventually (laughs) that I think everyone around me was aware that this was kind of something that was in the public eye and it wouldn't be that hard to, for me to find out if I wanted to. And also that, I mean, it's in a way, it's a huge lesson for, I think anybody that owns and carries guns like my father did. It was one of his passions and loves was guns for some reason. (laughs) He had a big collection of them and he always carried them with him. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, you can get after school program about it, (laughs) the after school special about guns, but that's pretty much the lesson that kind of went along with the whole thing. Right. Um, And they were always pretty on. I think I was always told the truth. Yeah. And I think with that, there was nothing to hide. Yeah. I mean, obviously, there were certain details that, you know, were more appropriate when I got older to learn about. But um, at the end of the day, the people close to me, my family and friends, weren't there. Yeah. I mean, his, my mom and his parents and the people that raised me weren't with him when he passed. So... Of course, the exact details I've never (laughs) known. Well, you know, I kind of get the feeling that the, you know, just the sheer legacy of your father was was so present in your life that, you know, indirectly, he probably, even though he wasn't there, he probably influenced you in ways other than music, you know, as well. Like we mentioned music a moment ago, but were there other ways that you felt influenced by him? Although, you know, obviously he wasn't there for the, you know, outside of the first three years of your life. Well, it's interesting because you think... Oh God! Certain personality traits or way that ways that I go about things, you think, oh, is that my dad? Um, you know, because I know my mom and I know the way I'm similar to her. So I definitely think that you know there's some kind of presence there that has helped to guide me in a way. Whether it's you know uh, his family sharing the kind of person he was and kind of thinking, oh, I I can relate to that. You know, it's funny you say that because, you know, um, I can sort of, I sort of uh, think about this and I think, you know, chances are other people, other family members see if anything traits in you that they would, they would sort of smile like, oh God, that's all your dad. (laughs) Because I see that with my girls sometimes, you know, with, I think, oh my goodness, you're your mother, you know, you're doing something just like them that you probably don't notice it, but those (laughs) around you will say, oh my Lord, look at that. That's your dad. You just blink like your dad, you know, (laughs) right? So I'm, I'm, I'm sure that that's one of those things that the people around you probably notice, you know, so uh, that's, that's interesting observation, you know. Um, let's talk a little bit about Searching for Terry, you know, a, ta- okay. a documentary that you've produced. And that's your own personal journey for you as, as much as it is a documentary unto I- itself. Yeah. Um, from what we understand, you know, this, this film's focus is, isn't really on, on, on Terry, your dad, but more on your desire to experience and to learn about your dad, uh, you know, as, as much as you're able to, right? Right. Yeah, I think initially when I thought of the idea to do it, I was thinking of it more as a portrait, more uh, like, you know, the life of Terry Kath and blah, blah, blah. But as I kind of came, 
realized what the process would be to put together this this film, I realized that that the daughter searching for and for her father's legacy is is really a huge part of the story and changes it because um, it, it if it's just a, a filmmaker making the story about Terry Kath, that's one movie. But sure. if it's the daughter. If it's me, then it's it's a it's a completely different movie almost. Yeah, it's a whole different perspective. Right. Yeah, and more personal mm-hmm. in a way. Yeah, and I, I think definitely there's uh, there was I realized that there were so many things that I didn't know because when I went to go p- kind of develop this the film, I was like, oh well, I'm going to learn so much as the daughter and 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 I think it's it it opens it up to a bigger group of people not just fans of the band, which would ultimately be my goal anyways. Well, you know, you just you just mentioned developing film. And uh, obviously that's a key element of why you decided to, you know, produce this. And tell us about, you know, the boxes of memorabilia and film that you found and began searching through. I mean, have you always had this stuff in your possession or in, and when did you discover it? Well, it's interesting. There's, uh, you know, there's always been this has always been in my mom's house, these kind of boxes of things. And I think at various points in my life, being a little girl and kind of in different phases of, in my, in my youth, I've pulled stuff out and kind of thumbed through it and looked at it. But now that I'm grown up and I have a family of my own and uh, I married, um, takes on a whole different perspective when I look at my mom's love letters from my dad Mm -hmm. and, you know, things that he wrote on and books that were his personal kind of treasures. And, and then realizing that, wait a minute, there is a box like this in all of these people's houses (laughs) that, (laughs) that knew him. Um, And I haven't seen them like um, in my grandfather's house you know, and that's like one of the things I want to go film. There's a whole load of memorabilia there that they're like, "Oh, you need to come look at this because yeah. we don't we don't want to touch it and be responsible." Come see what's here, um, and 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 other folks are coming out and saying, "Oh, wait a minute, I have you know a storage unit, and I think there's some pictures and video footage, and and so this little treasure box is coming forth from every angle, and it's really <laughs> awesome um, to to." It's like getting little treasures from people. Yeah. Little Terry Kath treasures. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Do you think you've discovered most of it? I mean, do you think they're No. They're, no. You know, we're we're in the beginning of this journey still. Okay. All right. Yeah. I'm just thinking about a timeline here and just, you know, um when did you consider or begin considering, you know, putting together a film like this or a documentary and how how long have you been researching your dad and his life? Um it's funny. I've I've uh, learned a lot about documentary filmmaking. Uh-huh. It's a it's a long journey. It's definitely a, an art of love yep. because I first had the idea maybe about four or five years ago, and didn't know how I was going to approach it. At first, I wasn't so comfortable making myself such a big part of it as well. I was like, no, I don't want to be in it so much. And, uh. mm-hmm. But um. Since then, I've talked with loads and loads of people in the industry, documentary film industry. I've taken classes. I've met producers. And um, I kind of get it. And I'm confident enough to go forth and make the film. So the developmental part of making a documentary is long. Yeah. You're talking about, you know, music rights. Right. 
um, you know, filming the interviewees and getting everyone on board and then like, how much is it going to cost? <laughs> right. Yeah. The cost of a documentary can exceed your, your initial, you know, anticipation because yeah. you, you think, oh, well, this is going to be easy. I've got contacts, you know, I've got friends that, you know, do production or, you know, whatever, however, however that comes together, the elements that you find. But then you're right. Music rights is, is a difficult one. I, I actually mixed a documentary, um, for a friend of mine who did one on Beatles tribute bands and wanting to use, and it's a really incredible documentary, really well produced, but the biggest sticking point in the whole documentary was getting the rights from not only Sony, but from Yoko Ono, <laughs> anybody, right. anybody who was involved in Beatles uh, music yeah. rights. And it was, it was a difficult journey and an expensive one too. Right. So do you have, I'm just thinking about music rights. What kind of hurdles? I mean, Obviously, you're the you're the daughter of Terry Kath, but granted, you know the band probably doesn't own most of their music. I'm imagining, right? No, um, the hurdles is just it's interesting because when you go to the people that own it and say, "Okay, we, we're making this documentary," blah blah blah, they're like, "Okay, great. So let us know um, what songs and in what part of the movie and for how many seconds." And I'm like, "Wait a minute, it's right. not a movie; it's a documentary." I can't really tell you that yet. <laughs> So it's interesting. There's two ways to do it. You either develop a script for your documentary and you know for sure I'm going to use these songs in this part based on hopefully what these people are going to say and the imagery yeah. you want to portray. Or you just say, I'm going to raise X amount of money and hopefully that will pay for the songs I need. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? I don't think you'll really know until you're done with it, until you feel exactly. – the piece of having it the way you want it and the way it, it was intended to, to turn out, you won't know that. And so, and that's exactly what happened to this friend of mine who did this Beatles tribute band documentary. You know, he, he had to wait, <laughs> you know, until right. it was all said and done to see how much money he had and what he could afford in rights. And then we'd had to go back. And then we have, you're right, they want to know how many seconds. We would, we actually had to go back in and re edit some of the music down and make the transitions different because, right. you know, he, he was four seconds long on one piece and a couple seconds long on another. So, <laughs> Yeah, right. it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> and um, you just don't know. But uh, for me, I'm determined to do it properly. So it's a proper, proper music documentary, and we get the music in there. Yeah. So, Michelle, tell us, what when this is complete and all said and done, what will you be trying to say to those who will eventually view this film? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I think there's very there's kind of different aspects of it. I think obviously uh, I'd like to expose my father as a, a great music, you know, guitar talent so that people know who he is and yeah. he's kind of up there with the rest of them in terms of, you know, the tops, the best of the best. And then, you know, a story, a human story of a daughter and, you know, a, a child that's lost their father. And I think, it brings closure for a lot of people in my journey that I haven't seen these people in a while and they were all very close to my father. Mm -hmm. um, I guess that I can't really say what the message will be there really mm -hmm. until mm -hmm. I've kind of ex gone and, and, and done everything with right. these people. Yeah. But, but the other part of it is also a bit of history because we're going into where did Chicago come from musically in mm -hmm. the 60s in Chicago in this really kind of cool time when there was clubs and live music and dancing and all these kind of garage bands and respond. And then 
Chicago moved to LA and then there was the sunset strip scene in the whiskey a go go and all the music that they were getting involved in hanging out in LA. Before founding the band Chicago, you know, your dad was in other bands, as, as you were mentioning. You know, he was in yeah. Jimmy and the Gentleman, Jimmy Ford and the Executives, The Missing Links. I think he even played bass uh, in the band for the Dick Clark show. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Well, well, and, you know, I was thinking about the film that you found, and I was thinking in regard to that, some of that film, and of course you haven't discovered it all yet, but was it primarily shot, what you've discovered so far, was it primarily shot during your dad's time with Chicago, or did you find any film dating back to some of those earlier bands? No, what I have is film when he's with Chicago. Oh, okay, okay. Well, listen, uh, during your research, maybe this is uh, coming from a different angle, but what was the most revealing fact about your dad that probably amazed you when you came upon it and you said it was one of those, oh, I didn't know that, and something that you really didn't know about him? Uh, I think one of the things I never really realized, I'm not um, – big, like, I, I don't play the guitar, so I'm not like a big guitar uh, technical person in terms of uh, the way that, you know, when you're hooking up your little, that little board, everyone puts <laughs> yeah. all their pedals on and there's all these things hooked up and I'm looking at it going, what, <laughs> why yeah, right. are all those things there? Is how, in, how much he was an innovator in that way. Mm-hmm. And when people talk about kind of what he did with, you know, the pedals and the wah-wahs and all this stuff. Sure, sure. I just like, oh, wow, really? That's <laughs> so crazy. Like, I didn't realize that 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 there's a whole bunch of people out here that just look at him as this kind of innovator in that sense. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty awesome. Yeah. It's like, that's what I would love to say. This is why my dad's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, there is one track in, in specific that, uh, you know, on the first album, the Chicago Transit Authority, which is introduction, of course. And it's, uh, you know, it, it's supposed to be, an, uh, it's an amazing, amazing track. But it's also one where he probably utilized a lot of the technology that, that you're talking about right now is because he mm. used his, uh, his guitar, you know, bar uh, an awful lot during that whole recording. Is that correct? Um, you know, it's I, I can't spoil things too much here, but I can say that in my um, so far in one of the interviews I did with which was with the horn section of Chicago. Yeah. Um, Walt and Jimmy and um, Lee Lee. Mm-hmm. Uh, they talked about introduction. Yeah. I don't want to say too much because that's don't okay. <laughs> that, that's all right. Well, but well, they talk about hit him making that song and what it meant on the album, and it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I asked you a little while ago about your own memories about your dad, and we discussed, you know, you know what you were told for, by your mom and other family members, and you know, after after viewing some of this film, as you can tell, I'm kind of uh, you know immersed by this film. I'm. <laughs> Very interested in it, you know. After after viewing the film and conducting interviews with people that were close to him, and you know the various other memorabilia that you searched through, what did you? I mean, just maybe you don't want to give it all away, but what did you learn about your dad that you may have never known about him? Well, I have to say, I, there's I'm still in the beginning processes of this. I haven't done too many interviews as of yet. Okay. Uh-huh. So in terms of the discovering, you know. new things I'm still there I I haven't um the interesting thing about kind of putting ourselves out there at this moment uh is that we're bringing in people almost on the journey with us Mm -hmm. 
So that's, it's hard to say. I'm, I'm still waiting to experience. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm still on that journey, basically. Well, I'm looking at Eddie and we're thinking, you know, probably maybe a year from now, we're going to have to get back with you and do, <laughs> and, and do no, part, part two. And, exactly. And you guys to put me back on. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the other questions I had, and I don't know if you've gotten to this part yet. I I think based on the little short that I saw that you had up on on uh, your website that it looked like you know obviously you've known you know the members of Chicago for a long time all your life, but have you had a chance to interview any of them yet? And and what did you learn about your dad from from uh, the band members? Right. Um, well, I I did the interview with the horn section. Okay. You know, it, the fun the fun part about interviewing them uh, was kind of obviously with especially Walt, I think, who knew my dad the longest in high school, was kind of getting these stories about him as a roommate <laughs> since they all lived together in various parts of Chicago and then moving to L.A. and the kind of guy he was when they all lived together and how he kind of... He was. <laughs> I love this again because I related to it in my experiences being a roommate and being the DJ and having to like kind of set the mood. He would set the mood. So they said they would come in and there would be, you know, lights and there would be like one other light that would come on and off depending on the music. And then it would be all set up for the jam session and then their friends would come over. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, you know, it was fun to learn about him as kind of this young guy starting out as a music career. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest moments is it's hard to say without like kind of spoiling the moment. But I think learning how much their his life and also his passing uh, made a difference in their life as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of a wake up call when someone passes that abruptly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've had those in my life as well when people pass that way. And my mom looked at me and just said, you know, this is like when your father passed and, uh, people kind of have to readjust and look at their life and say, Oh man, uh, it could have been me. could have been anybody. Maybe we need to kind of get our stuff together and keep, keep going with the band. Sure. Yeah. Hey, Michelle, it's, it's been, it's sort of been described in the past by some that, that, uh, your dad was, "Quote unquote," the the heart and you know in solo Chicago during the years that right. he was in the band was this a universally accepted fact and uh, opinion about your dad? You know, uh, this is a good question that I really would love to bring up in my interviews. Um, I, you know, it's like the fans all kind of feel this way, sure, and that the music kind of changed slightly afterwards. Definitely. <laughs> It's interesting. I mean, I, honestly, again, I, I need to, you're going to have to have me back on because um, I, I'm in the beginning process and I haven't interviewed a lot of the guys yet. Um, I'm hoping to get all of them yeah, on there. And what I'm getting at is, you know, I, I, we're certain that because of every band member at that, that time was, and even today, they're so critical to the band. I mean, they're all very, very important. I think you're probably right that this is probably more of a of a fan's opinion as to what they noticed from listening to the music, watching the concerts, yeah. that type of thing. Because that's what we've been reading, and I think it's uh, and it's pretty obvious to us when we when we hear uh, music, especially during this era. You know. Yeah, I mean, I think it's hard to say for me. Um, you can listen to all of Chicago's music and hear how the sound changes. Uh, 
through, you know, after my dad passes and yes. then there's kind of like the late seventies stuff and then there's the eighties. And I mean, it's all kind of different. Yeah. The David Foster era kind of reinvented the band there in the eighties. Yeah. For me, the documentary ends when my dad passes, I don't really go into the music after that. Right. Sure. Yeah. And I think even with my dad's, when my dad was a part of the band in those eras, they definitely appeared to have their own struggles um, with, with the content they wish to put out. And from what I understand, my dad also had struggles with, um, you know, what they wanted to put out, um, mm-hmm. pop versus art, I guess you could say. Right. Mm-hmm. And that just really, that, that whole, that just changed with time though. You know, the, it was the industry that forced bands like Chicago yeah. out of, out of what they originally started with and into, you know, you know, you got to consider it in the late 70s, right around the time your dad passed, it, you know, they were starting to get into disco, you know, and disco yeah. was sort of ruling the airwaves. And then after uh-huh. that, it, you know, uh, in the 80s, they, you know, uh, Chicago became more of a ballad kind of band, you yeah, know, right. power ballad yeah. band. But, you know, I do have a question, you know, about that period, the late 70s and, you know, towards the end of your of your dad's life. I mean, what did, I mean, like you said, you're not finished with this yet, but. What have you learned so far about the final period of your father's life? Any, I was curious about any of the memorabilia or any of the film that you found. If you, um, if you just 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 discovered in looking at all of that stuff, you know how his life changed during those ten years in the band, and kind of what it culminated to, you know, around the time of his death. All right. So, for me, kind of looking at everything, and looking at the stuff, and listening to the music. And from what I've heard so far, it seems to be that they came on the scene, they they put out Chicago Transit Authority, and in those 10 or, you know, 10, 11 years or whatever that my dad yeah. was out there touring, it was pretty full on. Lots of touring on the road all the time. They put out a lot of albums in that short period of time, yeah, mm-hmm. including Greatest Hits. Definitely. Mm-hmm. And... Um, it appears to be that there is an immense pressure to put out kind of the pop ballad, the three-minute song that was the hit yeah. that um, would be radio play. And um, I think in the end that that was kind of what was uh, wearing him down a little bit. Yeah. And for me, it's kind of this journey is kind of saying, well, what was that kind of battle there, you know? You know, was it mm-hmm. solely substance abuse? Was it, mm-hmm. you know, kind of pressures that were coming on and, and not him not being able to flourish as a creative artist? Um, and the other interesting thing is looking at the video footage I found that was his home video footage. There's no sound. He's not in it. But when he's filming, it's obviously kind of through his eyes. Mm-hmm. It's the world through his eyes. Right. And the interesting part about it, when you kind of sit and watch it all together, it's like an hour or so, a lot of it is kind of almost like if he's in this kind of box and he's filming through a window, like he's either in an airplane filming out the window or in a car kind of on the way to a gig or in a hotel room filming things out of the hotel room. And it's it's like very much like, I'm on the road, but I live in this bubble and the world's outside this window. And you get this kind of sense of entrapment almost. It's bizarre. Yeah. 
again, that's my interpretation of kind of watching it. But everything's on, it's on the road, so it's kind of you know life on the go. Yeah, well, from what I know, from what I've read, it it sounds like a pretty fair interpretation because you know I, I you know there were. I've read several accounts that, you know, he wasn't happy on the road, especially towards the end. And even, um, in fact, Peter Stater, I've read many accounts that, you know, he went on record as saying that, you know, had his life not ended, he would have been probably the first to quit the band. Right. So, I mean, you know, I mean, I, maybe you don't know the answer to this, but what was the source of his growing unhappiness with, with the band? Yeah, you know, at the moment it would be speculation and I'm hoping that yeah. I can, you know, see what other people's kind of point of view on that is. Mm -hmm. I know how my mom feels, you know, she's kind of always told me that, um, you know, he was just kind of wanting to express himself in different ways and he was looking for other avenues. Mm -hmm. But I'm hoping in talking with, you know, the people close to him at that time that, that you can uh, figure that out you know, where, where he kind of was at at that point. Sure. I think there were a lot of accounts at that time that one of the things that he really wanted to do was uh, do a solo project. And yeah. do you know if he ever, did he ever attempt to begin a solo project? Did he? I he mean, did. Yeah. He was, he was attempting to begin the solo project. And, um, and he was kind of, I think, uh, getting some of his, uh, some of the guys that he jammed with back in Chicago out to LA to kind of start forming something or other. Uh -huh. And it's interesting because, you know, my mom always said that, that he was going to go and kind of make his own album. And then when I would go look at his records, which again was like these kind of the Joe samples and the weather report <laughs> and um, the crusaders, I always thought, Oh, I wonder if he was going to do this, <laughs> yeah. you know, maybe not that too much singing more free form and a lot of, kind of guitar. I was always really curious sure, as, as to what that would have been. Like a fusion project or something. I, yeah. I could hear him doing a, a really incredible fusion project. No doubt, yeah. Hey, Michelle, I've got a question. You know, your, your dad had a, a huge presence. I mean, on stage, that, that was inevitable. But your dad was also a big guy. I mean, wasn't he like 6'2 yeah. or something? <laughs> I mean, he was a big yeah. guy. He and, and his voice was also big, too. So, I mean, he had this visual and vocal and instrumental presence that, uh, you know, I, I want to ask a question regarding his voice. Is that his grand? Is that his father's voice? Where did that, that body, that fullness <laughs> of it, where, which side of your family did that come from? <laughs> You've got to wonder, you know, it's so funny. <laughs> um, people say to me, you hear his voice and yeah. you just don't think this is going to come out of a white guy, you know? <laughs> it's like, where did that come from? Oh, well, um, yeah. You know, I don't know. My grandpa and my grandparents come, his parents, come from very musical families. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of, uh, they're both raised on farms. And I've heard that my mom's, uh, my grandma's family were all given instruments. It was like a really big family, I think like eight or 10 brothers and sisters, mm -hmm. and they all had to learn an instrument, and that was their evenings. Yeah. And uh, my grandma played the piano, my grandpa played the saxophone, so there was a lot of music there. I don't know about his voice, though. I mean, that was his gift, I guess. <laughs> yeah. You know, you've been looking at footage for you know, for such a long time of your dad's work with Chicago. Now, when you see it, what, 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 uh, and stand back and see it, you know, what are your feelings when you watch him sing and play like, uh, the track, you know, 25 or six to four, what goes through your mind? I mean, what does it do to you when you hear your dad performing? 
I'm like, that's my dad. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think in a way it's cool for me because that's the only way I've ever seen him, been Mm -hmm. able to see him. I think another thing in this journey is finding, I've never heard him just talking. Anytime I've ever seen my dad is in these live performances. Yeah. And so for me, it's like a, it's my connection to him, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, uh, it's also, it's a funny thing because when you're out shopping in the market and then these songs come on and for me, it's like, Oh, I have to, you know, I take it in. It's not no longer like a background song. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. you know, I sort of envision you, you know, sometime driving down the road and all of a sudden you're playing the radio. I mean, I don't know who really plays radio these days, but let's just imagine that you were playing the radio, <laughs> you know, so you listen to the radio and the, the tracks come on and, that must have happened quite often when you were growing up to, to, to hear a song and all of a sudden you look at the radio, you know? Yes. There is uh, a lot of strange moments that, that my dad's music will come on. Mm-hmm. Uh, my husband was preparing a dinner to propose to me and a Chicago song came on and it really <laughs> freaked him out. <laughs> that is amazing. That's and, great. Um, I'm actually friends with uh, uh, Robert Lamb's daughter. Uh-huh. She just sent me a message and she says, you know, I was in the car driving with my mom and my aunt. And we were talking about your project and we were talking about how cool it was that you're doing this project about your dad. And then Color My World came on the radio. Wow. <laughs> and she was just like, coincidence? I think not. But she said it was, they were like, oh, my God. So That's... things like this happen quite a lot in my in my world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know, it is coincidence or, or not, but, um, the music, his music has always connected me to him because it's all I've really known of him. I, I, I have a funny story that's sort of related to what you were talking about. Eddie and I went down to the, uh, Nashville a couple of years ago for the, uh, Musicians Hall of Fame and, uh, the guys from Toto were being inducted into the, into the Musicians Hall of Fame. And we, we've got a pretty good connection with Bill Champlin. He's been on our show a couple of times now. Yeah. And we invited him to, to go to the show with us. We had an extra couple of tickets. And so he brought his son, Will. And mm-hmm. and uh, I sat down next to Bill. And right as we sat down in the hall, they were playing music over the PA. And, and a Chicago tune came on that he <laughs> sung. And this was just yeah. this was just like shortly, just shortly after <laughs> him leaving the band here, you know, like a few years ago. And he sat down and he heard the song. And he looked at me and he goes, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> <laughs> it's like they saw him walk in or something. <laughs> well, as we mentioned a little while ago, creating a documentary obviously is costly, you know, from researching to traveling and production, you know, not to mention, you know, your case in obtaining the rights to use Chicago's music in your film. And hmm. I want to talk to you a little bit about how you're financing this project. Yeah. Well, I have a lovely producer named Dolina Campbell who is – um, working, we're working very close together to raise all the funds needed to put together the proper documentary that honors um, not only my dad but the music of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very important to me that the music's in there, and in the overall budget, that's the most impor- uh, expensive part. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, um, a documentary filmmaking crash course is is. Um, just continuously banging on doors and picking up hopefully some sponsors and, um, and, and, and just keep moving on as 
uh, we just finished our Kickstarter campaign, right. which was very successful and we raised money. Um, those campaigns are great because they help to get fans involved as well. Mm-hmm. And um, fans can become part of the project and we can give back to them uh, through gifts and memorabilia. Sure. And so, you know, for me, I'm just learning as well, to be honest. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a pa- uh, definitely a labor of love, documentary filmmaking. Well, you met your goal. I noticed you met your goal on your Kickstarter, Kickstarter yes. campaign, and, and uh, you actually exceeded it a little bit. But can uh, – I mean, obviously, you're going to need more funding. And I was curious to know if, uh, if fans or listeners of Inside Music Cast, if, if they're interested in participating in this project still, can they still uh, – can they still donate or can they still participate in, in funding? Yes, they can. Um, you can always visit terrycath.com. We will have information there. That's the easiest way to remember it. Mm-hmm. But what we've done is we've made a link, uh, which is fundsearchingforterry.com. Okay. And the fundsearchingforterry.com will always be linked to our latest uh, efforts of fundraising. At the moment, you know, it's linked to Kickstarter, and that's kind of ending now. And uh, Dolina and I will be on to whatever the next thing is because the funny thing is, is you think you've reached everybody and you've exhausted your avenues. And the minute Kickstarter ended, you can't even believe the amount of emails of people going, "Oh, I just missed this, and how can I donate?" and and so on. So yeah, so. Uh, you think you're annoying people <laughs> and beating on their doors, and then the minute you're like, "Okay, it's done. Sorry, I won't beat on your door anymore." <laughs> More come out of the woodwork and are like, "Wait a minute, I want to, I want to give to your project." So, um, yeah, terrycath.com, and all the information will be there. Yeah, awesome. Once your film is completed, Michelle, what are your plans for it? I mean, have, obviously, you've thought of the you know the beginning, the process that you're currently in right now. But at the end of it, from a marketing perspective, uh, do you plan to shop this around to networks or to you know to festival circuit or what type of uh, brainstorms do you have on on getting it out there? All of the above. Okay, <laughs> okay. all right. I'm definitely going to do the festival circuit. That's good. And, and get get it out there that way. And then, you know, eventually get it onto some type of network. Yeah. Um, we're still, uh, you know, building our team. Uh, the lady I have working with me, Dolina, is a very fun and creative uh, producer. Mm-hmm. And she's very excited to get um, this project right now because we're still, I mean, we're going into production and we're building our team. And she's like, it's so great to, to be at this point because we can bring everyone on the journey with us and it's very excited because as things progress we're like oh my it's exciting because people want to know and we can say oh we're you know gonna have bring these people on and now we're doing this and it's it's just a fun way to it it's a different world i have to say yeah Mm -hmm. i talked with older people that have been making documentaries for a long time and it was very daunting, the process. And I was like, oh, my God, I, this film's never going to get made. You know, they're like, this is a great idea, but da 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 And I was like, oh, my God. And I think for years I walked around with this burden. And I met Dolina, and she's like, oh, this is what we're going to do, and we can do this. And I realized that um, there's a different way to do things now, and a lot of it is social media. Sure. 
and like for example you guys are on the internet this is a radio show and there's facebook and there's blogs and there's it's a whole new world of reaching out to people in the documentary arena um because you're basically telling a story and it's a real story it's it's real life and i think that touches a lot of people's hearts and um it's exciting yeah Michelle, we really thank you for your time. It's really been uh, great learning about you and, of course, you know, your project uh, based around uh, your vision and your journey through you know, your, your dad's memorabilia and learning more about his life. And we can't wait uh, to talk to you again, especially when we're getting closer to this uh, being wrapped up. Yes, you, you, you'll have to bring me back on so I can answer some of the questions you asked me today. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and anyway, the thing is, we don't want to spoil too much, though. Like you said, we want to. I, I, I don't want to know too much. I can't wait to see what you bring out of this Absolutely. and what you do find. Yeah, me too. Well, thank you very much. And uh, for more information, visit terrycat.com. And if you want to contribute to her project and help uh, Michelle along the way, like she said, there's certainly avenues of, of doing that. So, so thanks again for joining us. Thank you for having me. All Thanks, right. Michelle. Bye. Have a good day. Special thanks to Michelle Kath Sinclair for joining us on this episode of Inside Music Cast. Also, very special thanks to Inside Music Cast correspondents Scott Gross, Brian Pearson, Kim Riley, Max Zape, Uwe Reith, and Mikhail Lingstrom. And please visit our website at InsideMusicCast.com where you can catch up on all of our past interviews, read the Inside Opinion blog, and check out additional bonus content. Inside Music Cast is also on Facebook where you can become a fan and join in on music conversation with Inside Music Cast fans from around the world. For Eddie Cabello, I'm Rick Such. Thanks for listening to Inside Music Cast.